Hi, I'm Emma Hill. Welcome to Art Seeker Stories, a podcast about my journey seeking art. At the core of finding my own art, I'll take you on a nostalgic trip back 20 years or so ago during my days as long-haul cabin crew for British Airways. These are my worldwide travels as an art seeker, as an art culture vulture, where it all began at the turn of the century. Today's episode 34 is a postcard of a warrior from Hong Kong, and the date is 1st of September 2000. Despite 4am tornado warnings, I take a ferry to Lantau Island and visit Teo, Asia's Little Venice, and the Big Buddha at the Po Lin Monastery. My first impressions of Hong Kong was of manic activity, a visual explosion of rainbow colour accompanied by a cacophony of sound. Driving through the streets of the high risers, it was an avalanche to my senses. I'd never seen such an abundance of neon signage. Made all the more impressive, highlighted by lightning and echoed in thunder, thanks to an almighty storm. Arriving at the hotel, I had no desire whatsoever to venture out into the night. The monsoon rain was like a tap turned from heaven. I hoped a good night's sleep would bring a better day. I woke up at 4am, unimpressed by a message the hotel had passed under the door. A weather warning for possible tornadoes. Great, just my luck, on my very first day in Hong Kong. I fell back to sleep and woke up at a more reasonable time to find the sky heavy and grey, but the rain had stopped. I took my chances and ventured out. I took a ferry to Lantau Island, which in Cantonese means broken head, or more appropriately called Ye Xuan, meaning Big Mountain Island, due to the abundance of hilly mountains jutting up in all directions. I managed to get on the bus I want that takes me along the west coast of the island towards a little village I'm seeking out called Teo. The village name means large inlet, which refers to the outlet for the waterways of the Teo Creek and Teo River, which merged together, moving through the village. A hundred years ago, Teo was an important trading port, exporting salt and fish to China. As the younger population moved towards the bright lights, the industry on Teo is declining. Instead, the main contributor to their economy is tourism, which has become increasingly popular in recent years. I read somewhere that Teo is affectionately thought of as Asia's little Venice. Well, I wouldn't agree with that at all. Yes, most of it is built on water, but that's where the similarities end. But I did find it interesting. The place is full of its own unique charm. I arrive at the bus terminal, which is quiet and seems to be in the middle of nowhere, except for a couple of concrete high risers with brightly colour coordinated window frames. Puzzled as to where to go next, I follow my fellow passengers like a sheep. I realise what I'm looking for is just around the corner. For one Hong Kong dollar, I take a rope-drawn ferry pulled by a couple of women, which takes me to Teo itself. 
The smell is biting. Oh my God. I could feel the bile in my stomach rise into my throat, swallowing and taking a few deep breaths while keeping my nose firmly blocked helped. The smell was incredible, dirty and fishy with an aroma of rubbish you could almost taste. Oh, as for what I could see, there were fish and squid hanging out to dry everywhere from the rooftops to any and every possible surface. It was like stepping back in time. There were ramshackled stilts houses and houseboats that had taken their final voyage. They were wedged between added structures, joined and extended layer on layer in sheets of wood, expanding up and out in all possible directions, making it impossible to move. Further along the river, the only means of transport is by boat, where you can see some of what remains of the old fallen structures, decaying and abandoned. In the heart of the village, there are narrow paths between concrete facades. I walked through what felt like an interior corridor as families opened their doors and windows wide open. Inside the rooms, it was cosy and inviting. I caught glimpses snapshots and moments of their lives frozen in time. Mostly, I saw older men in different houses, groups of them huddled around tables, playing cards or mahjong. The occasional lone woman was always busying herself around the house, while outside, the children had fun, running riot between the narrow streets, chasing cats and dogs riding bikes and amusing themselves whatever they can get their hands on, cardboard being a firm favourite. Doors that were kept shut revealed large posters of the warrior Quan Tay, the red-faced god of war, standing to guard the property entrance, keeping evil spirits and demons away. Quan Tay is also known as the protector of Buddhism, and I went to visit Tao's oldest temple in his honour, built in the 15th century during the Ming Dynasty. The interior is like stepping into a glorious treasure trove in opulent red and gold. Regal and elaborately decorated, I see ornate statues of Quan Te himself, his horse and horseman, an ancient physician named Hu To, and the military gods of Te Sui. There's a shrine, a large ancient copper bell, and a leather drum. There are lanterns and deity figures, and incense smokes from vases and copper bowls with offerings made by worshippers. Sitting back in the bus for my journey home, I'm reminded of yesterday's bad weather and today's weather warnings. I take a detour to visit the Polin Monastery at the top of the Nong Ping, the highest part of Lanto Island, a Buddhist retreat where at 24 metre high, 250-tonne bronze Buddha sits on a lotus. Originally founded by three monks in 1906, the Polin Monastery has more than a century of history behind it. Initially, it was called the Big Hut, but in 1924, it acquired its current name, Polin, which means the beautiful lotus. On my arrival, a shroud of mist covers everything. It was eerie and mystical. I couldn't see five metres in front of me. 
I walked up the steps that appeared like a stairway to heaven. As I got higher up, all of a sudden there was a gap in the clouds. And there it was, like an apparition, the big Tain, Tan, Buddha, symbolising the union of man with nature. Next to the big Buddha, I went to visit the temple where I saw the three Trakeya Buddha statues, opulent in gold with all their offerings, representing past, present and future. The Trakeya doctrine says that the Buddha has three bodies, the Dharma body of truth, which embodies the very principle of enlightenment and knows no limits or boundaries. The enjoyment or bliss body, which is as a clear light of manifestation. And finally, the transformation or appearance body, which manifests in time and space. And it is these three bodies that allow the Buddha to simultaneously be one with the absolute while appearing in the relative world for the benefit of suffering beings. I was lucky as my leaving coincided with the monk's ceremony. I stood quietly and watched. The chanting was calming and hypnotic all at the same time. In contrast, the evening was something else. I thought it better to continue than to turn in for bed. A group of us went to a Mongolian restaurant making up wonderful exotic concoction. Somehow we ended up in China Jump, put on the map by Gaza and his mate Jimmy Five Bellies, getting drunk in their infamous dentist chair. I saw it in action. There was no way I was going to test it out. Tequila and spirits turned into pints of hell, poured vertically down the throat of some undeserving patient until they were physically unable to consume or even move anymore. Instead, we headed up to an upper level booth, the perfect viewing point over the dance floor, the bar and the dentist chair. The booths were like capsules, one on top of the other, sunk into the walls, like built-in luxurious bunk beds, but bigger to fit us all in. Somehow, our upper-level booth didn't seem such a good idea, as our only way up and down was by a trapladder, rather awkward after a few drinks. But all was good, we helped each other. Although, I did hear of a passenger who boarded a plane with both arms in plaster, fit at right angles to keep the arms horizontal. It was unclear if she had fallen or she was pushed from the very same upper booth. What a nasty consequence. And now, nostalgically looking back at my diary, 22 years to the day, my thoughts and reflection... Looking back today, 22 years on, I don't think I realised it then, but my hunger for searching for art was equally a mission in searching for belief, faith and religion. Apparent in my passion for seeking monasteries, Buddhas, street corner shrines and temples all around Asia. To this day, I don't particularly know why, but in the hunger for seeking for my art through others, I was seeking meaning and understanding, a connection, universal consciousness maybe, even on the edge of enlightenment and God. Now I understand my creativity and expression through my art, tapping into flow as the closest I can get to that. A recent green painting of mine called Open Your Heart 
in corresponding to the green heart chakra, has a spiritual essence. In creating and afterwards looking, I feel a deep connection to nature and my place within it. I see an almond-shaped face of a Buddha, or perhaps it could be an owl that appears within the abstract. There is more too in the suggestion of birth, motherhood and the cycle of life. Initially, I was thinking of the Emerald Buddha in Thailand, but it has more of the essence of the Tain Tan, the Big Buddha in Lantau. Incidentally, I won a painting during lockdown from one of my favourite artists, Jessica Zub. She asked artists to paint pictures and name them Joy. My painting Joy, an abstract landscape, was inspired by my daily walks around the golf course, the woods and the following fields. It was only much later that I realised it looked more like water than land and then I realised that I walked past Jessica's pond every day. Her painting I won then is called Sunlit Waters. I don't know why but it reminds me of Teo and I know that Jessica lives part-time in Hong Kong and I told her this and she said she too has fond memories from Teo too. And of course, I'm a sucker for synchronicity and connection. Meanwhile, please excuse my poor and most likely incorrect pronunciation to foreign words. Hopefully, I'm not too far out. Tomorrow, I'm back with my second day in Hong Kong, going on a walkabout. I visit Victoria Peak and seek art in high places and high risers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Seeker Stories. Please do follow, share and comment and join in the conversation. I'd love to hear your art seeking journeys too. Mini podcast postcard episodes, Art Seeking Stories Worldwide, are released 20 to 22 years to the day of visiting and therefore irregular as and when. Longer heart-to-heart artist interviews are released on the last Wednesday of each month. Until next time, very best wishes. Goodbye.